This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. We must confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world. That is when, and only when, we come to it. America's chickens! Coming home! Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. You're gonna sing the swim, you're gonna learn the truth. No matter what you do, you're gonna learn the truth. Alternative activist empowerment talk radio. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. And then wants us to sing God bless America. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, Janice Graham. And good evening, and thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground this Saturday night, November 21st, 2020, as our country continues to be embroiled in both a cold and a civil war. But we're glad that you have joined us uh, to have some discussion, to take a look at some serious and critical issues here in America in this sanctuary which respects, observes, uplifts black truth through the lenses of the experiences of black people in America. As we come into the broadcast tonight, uh, as we have been throughout this pandemic, we want to encourage you to keep yourself safe, to keep your family safe, and to employ all of the practices that the medical and scientific community has advised us to do in order to say to take the necessary precautions so that we are not getting infected and we are not infecting others to protect our communities. And that is especially important uh, for us um, in our community because we do know that this pandemic has caused, has ravaged us to the extent that uh, we really have to be extra uh, take extra precautions and um, 
So I'm encouraging you uh, to be smart, uh, to really be smart about uh, what you're doing, how you're doing it. Uh, you certainly can't um, totally isolate, but what you can do is be smart about the things that you are doing. Let me give you some statistics about what is happening in the United States in regard to the pandemic, as has been our practice uh, for many months now. Uh, in the U.S., there are currently a total of 11,927,256 cases. And the definition of a case is a person has, who has been diagnosed or who has tested positive. And today's new cases, if you can wrap your mind around this, 178,309 new cases calculated as of five minutes ago. The change over the last week of cases, an increase of 10.9%. And I think we have to bounce those incredible numbers, incredible numbers, with hospitalizations and with tests. Of the 11,900-plus total cases, if we take that number and we bounce it against 177 million 600 plus total tests. 1,977,000 people, 400, had tests today. And from that 1,977,000, 178,309 people tested positive. If we look at the hospitalization numbers, and, and folks, this is why this is so critical, because our hospitals in states where there are huge spikes no longer have capacity to assist a person who is diagnosed diagnosed with this Ill, with this virus currently there are 83,227 people hospitalized there are 16,054 persons hospitalized in an ICU and in this country, we currently have 5,103 people on ventilators. The total deaths in the U.S., 247,043. 
and I implore you to please be very, very careful and take the necessary precautions. Thank you all who are in our chat room for joining us in the chat room, and if you'd like to join uh, in our unmoderated uh, uh, chat room, unless you're a troll, you can come to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. Um, Sometime during our second page um, uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about what and how you celebrate uh, Thanksgiving and whether or not you think that we have successfully made this a celebration of family rather than a celebration of the of a genocide of the original peoples of America, and we can talk about that. We also want to talk to you about the rumors that the Trump administration key critical staff people are now talking with the Biden transition team about a non-prosecutorial agreement uh, which would be disastrous, I think, for the un- incoming um, administration. And um, and all of the talk about um, the Biden transition team uh, really discussing seriously to what extent uh, prosecuting um, Trump for emolument and other kinds of criminal activity while he was in office uh, is a good move. Um, I do want to say that a Pennsylvania judge tonight, who is a staunch conservative uh, Republican, essentially told the Trump team with their accusations of voter fraud in Pennsylvania, uh, ballot fraud, et cetera, et cetera. And they actually toll on each other, the toll on them, because the <laughs> the examples that they gave were examples of ballots where the, the, the extra ballots that they were trying to make their point with were ballots that were cast for Donald Trump. And it's, it, it's like, dealing with the Keystone Cops. So in the second hour, and I hope you'll uh, stay around with us, in our first page, um, (laughs) we're going to be talking about black resistance and the Communist Party. Uh, I've titled this episode, Who You Call in a Communist? Blacks Resisting Fascism in America. And our guest is Carl Dix. He was with us a couple of weeks ago and um, talking about the um, 2020 election um, um, when we had our panel. Uh, he is a co-initiator of Refuse Fascism, a founding member of the Revolutionary Communist Party and co-initiator with Cornell West, of the Stop Mass Incarceration Network. During the 1970s, Carl spent two years in Leavenworth Military Prison for refusing deployment to Vietnam. He was a conscientious objector. 
uh, and his application for such status was obviously not accepted. Uh, he has been on the front lines of the struggle against white supremacy and fascism from Charlottesville, Virginia, in August 2017 to the January 20, uh, January 20, 2020 armed fascist Lobby Day rally in Richmond as well as in Minneapolis, St. Paul, in the wake of the May 24 murder of George Floyd. And uh, one of the reasons that um, I really wanted to talk about how about this topic, it's because it's, going, it's part of the first of a series of black resi- of talking about examining reviewing black resistance and black liberation movements in this country uh and we want to give you some idea because many of you haven't paid much attention to what communism means in this country and what it means globally uh, most of us especially in my generation uh, had to sit through in the in your senior year in high school uh, the Red Scare class. It was called Communism in America. But the the Communist Party in its early years, just like the Socialist Party and the Industrial Workers of the World, initially viewed African American equality as simply an extension of the class struggle, devoid of special attributes or characteristics. And in this series, we're going to be examining the uh, black liberation movement strategies now and in our history. One of the more uh, famous persons that we know, that most black Americans know about who who was part of the Communist Party, and and we're going to be talking about the Communist Party of America as opposed to the counter-revolutionary Communist Party for which our guest, Carl Dix, is the co-initiator. So we're going to be asking, who you calling a communist? Uh, I've been called that. I I still get email accusing me of being a communist, uh, a red, you know, uh, uh, a red monster. And we're going to be examining the history and existing protests within black communities to protest fascism in America. Um, You know, because a change of the guard has never meant a change of the fabric of America. We cry about saving democracy but we also have to ask what, which, and whose democracy. Um, I remember as a young activist when I would raise my fist and 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 shout all power to the people, that was a kind of resistance that in this country um, was derogatory. And the communist movement in this country has been very big, has been very embedded, um, 
and something happened. But we're going to talk about what happened with Carl Dix. But I want to share this uh, clip with you. It's an interview with Angela Davis. Uh, And what she does for us in this interview is she reflects and helps us to reflect as well about um, where communism, socialism, and oppressed people fall on the spectrum of a struggle for justice and freedom. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Thank you for being with us. Let's take a look at this before we bring in our guest. Certainly. I mean, otherwise, if, if, as I said before, if I felt that the interests of the party and black people conflicted in any way, I wouldn't be a member of the because I'm mm-hmm. interested uh, first and foremost in the liberation of my people. And I feel that, that uh, the uh, policy of the party, as well as the practice, has been the only consistently uh, correct approach to black liberation. See, I don't think that we can talk about black liberation without overturning the system, overturning the root cause for the oppression of black people. The only way we can do that, I feel, is through a socialist revolution. And that's going to involve not only black people, but all oppressed people in this society. Don't you know how talking about a revolution sounds like a Yeah, um, even though I don't really know what communism is all about, just as the brother uh, here said, he said I, we know that there must be something good about it because otherwise a man wouldn't be coming down on you so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the resistance to uh, understanding what communism is all about doesn't exist uh, nearly as much in the black community as it does in the country as a whole. This letter here is an indication of that. What he's saying is that although he realizes that this uh, country has kept away from him and our, our, our many of our sisters and brothers the knowledge of what communism is, is he wants to know about it. Yeah. And I'm sure that that's, uh, when he says that that's one of the main questions that's asked, I'm, I, I, I doubt whether there's a... a, a uh, in the black community, at least, whether there's uh, whether there are huge contours of hostility, yeah, it's just a des- desire, curiosity to know. I think and that's just true. The, the, what I generally say, and I answered the brother and tried to explain in a few words why I was a communist, and I said uh, essentially the same thing that I had uh, said when I told you why I was a revolutionary, because. Uh, I have uh, a, a very strong love for oppressed people, for my people. I want to see them free, and I, re- and I want to see all I want to see all oppressed people throughout the world free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I realize that the only way that we can do this is by um, moving towards a revolutionary society where. Uh, the needs and, and the interests and the wishes of all people can be respected. And now back to Our Common Ground.
think uh, Angela Davis, a young, a very young Angela Davis, uh, for uh, identifying uh, for us uh, exactly what the relationship is between when when she was a member of the uh, Communist Party of the United States, uh, what the relationship is uh, for oppressed people. Carl Dix, thank you so very much, my brother, for joining us again at Our Common Ground. Uh, thank you for having me on again, Janice. Well, you know, I didn't think that when when we were talking about the election, I wanted to talk about uh, black liberation outside of the context of American politics. Um, I, I think when you were with us um, a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that you were involved in is the grassroots, the groundwork, on the ground, boots on the ground, in protests uh, across this country. And I wanted to give you uh, an opportunity to help my audience understand exactly the work that you do and put revolution in a context where people can relate and understand that it is somehow the same stuff that we do when we are on the street protesting. Let's talk about your work with Refuse Fascism. You're the co-initiator. What is that organization all about? Okay, Refuse Fascism is a group that was formed in December of 2016, right after the election of Donald Trump because some of us looked at the program that he was putting forward, the agenda that he was setting, and we saw the very clear fascist direction in it. And we knew what fascism comes down to. It comes down to not to greatly intensifying all of the oppression and injustice that people are suffering within society. But even more than that, it's a leap to a whole different form of rule in which the space to stand up, to resist, to protest gets closed down. And I want to make that distinction, but also continuity between fascism and capitalism, imperialism in its let's call it democratic form, because the injustice that Donald Trump's regime intensified didn't start with him. You know, the police terror, the Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. attacks on women's rights, on the rights of uh, differently gendered LGBTQ people, the attacks on immigrants. I mean, Barack Obama was called by many immigrants' rights forces the deporter-in-chief. So it wasn't like attacks on immigrants started with Trump, but they were greatly intensified, as well as the devastation of the environment of the very planet that we live on. So that stuff was there already, and that's why those things and other horrors the system brings down was why I was a revolutionary. But with refused fascism, we saw 
that not only would those horrors be intensified, but the room to build resistance, to fight, to stop them would get closed down. And we drew that from looking at historical situations where those forms, fascist forms of rule were brought into being. And we said, we have to bring together a specific formation, a specific group to build the broadest possible resistance to that, to stop it because the chances of making revolution to get rid of this system and all of its horrors would go way, way down as well as the chance to do anything positive. If people wanted to fight against police terror, people wanted to fight uh, for LGBTQ rights. People wanted to try to stop the devastation of the environment, all the rest of it. You wanted to do that. You need to stop fascism because if you don't, the room to do that disappears. So for the past four years, We've been working to bring that message to people that the Trump-Pence regime is a fascist regime that needs to be driven from power and that the way to do that is through mobilizing people to take to the streets and to stay in the streets, raising the demand that in the name of humanity we refuse to accept a fascist America and to raise the demand that this regime needs to be driven from power. Now, we didn't succeed in doing that over the four-year period. Mm -hmm. Then as the election came up, that's where a lot of people, tens of millions of people, in fact, put their desire to drive this regime out by voting it out. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that wasn't... And it wasn't like there was nothing involved in that because people had to go up against obstacles to do that. I mean, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners both saw and in some cases stood in the long lines that people had to stand in to vote early and to vote on election day and noticed how much longer those lines were in black neighborhoods, in Latino neighborhoods, in areas where indigenous people live how much longer those were than, say, the lines in the suburbs. You know, people would stand in line 12, 13 hours to vote in downtown Atlanta, and somebody in suburban Atlanta would would tweet about, I was in and out in 15 minutes. Well, that was not accidental. This, This system, and particularly the fascist forces in this system, have made it a decades-long mission to make it harder for black people, for brown people, for indigenous people to vote. And that's the tack that they took after we successfully fought for and won the actual right to vote, which happened in my lifetime. I mean, let's just be clear about that. I'm old enough to know to have been around when black people couldn't vote. When voting to get you shot. <laughs> no, I mean, and let's just be real about that. This is what we're talking about. We're not talking about a demand for people wanting some extra rights that no one else had. I mean, black people were not allowed to vote up into the 1960s. People who went down to vote could get fired from their job. They could get kicked out of their house. 
if they didn't get killed. So this is what we're talking about. And now you have the forces grouped around the Republican Party doing everything they can to make it harder and harder for black people to vote. And everybody needs to recognize that and realize that that was a big part of the fascist program that we're up against. It didn't start with Trump, but it got taken to higher levels with Trump. You see it in both what they did going into the election with all this talk about, well, mail-in voting equals fraud. And it's a way to steal the election when in the midst of a pandemic to make it safe for as many people as possible to vote. The way to vote was to not make people go out and have to stand in line. But they did everything they could to both make that hard to do. They went into court. They tried to get polling places closed in many areas, all this kind of stuff. They and then did they also polling places closed. Yeah. yeah, but they wanted to get even more. I mean, they wanted to get even more. They wanted to have it, like I guess in Texas, they went to court to try to shut down. They had this drive-up thing where you could deposit your your vote, and they worked. They went through several court cases to try to get it shut down. It was in the Houston area. Yeah, that's get it closed a, Harris, Harris County. Yeah. Harris County, yeah. yes. Yeah. They were trying to make it so you couldn't do that. So yeah. they were working, and now that they have lost the election, they're now trying to get the election overturned. And a specific part of how they're doing it is that they're saying the votes in Detroit were illegitimate and should be thrown out. The votes in Milwaukee are illegitimate and should be thrown out. The votes in Philadelphia are illegitimate and should be thrown out. The thread that runs through all of that is that all of those are cities where there are large numbers of black people. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And Carl, what they're basically saying is those black people who voted, they, their vote shouldn't count. We should recognize yeah. that. So what refused fascism has been doing is working to build resistance to drive this regime out. And we are continuing to do that because this ain't over. You know, and a lot of the commentators point to the fact that all of the things that Trump and company have tried since the election to get the election overturned haven't worked. That is true and that's real. But we should recognize that they don't all have to work. They just have to get one of them to work. And we have to be vigilant towards that and to work to create a situation where none of them can work. You know, like when those uh, canvassers in Detroit, the two Republicans on the four-person canvassing board who initially refused to recognize the votes in Detroit, They had to hold a public meeting over that, and they caught so much hell in that public meeting that they backed off. I mean, hundreds of people came out to the meeting to say, we're not going to stand by and let you get away with doing this. And people have to recognize that that was the power of people mobilized to act. In this case, it was in a meeting, not in the streets, although the meeting may have spilled out into the streets. But it got an institution of the government 
to do what it didn't want to do. And we have to work to create that throughout society because if Trump can get one of these cases to the Supreme Court, what will the Supreme Court do considering that he's put three fascists onto the Supreme Court to join a couple fascists who were already there? Will they then say, oh, yes, you're right. Detroit shouldn't count. Philadelphia shouldn't count. Milwaukee shouldn't count. What will keep them from doing that and what can keep them from doing that is folks in the street, folks vigilantly standing up, protesting, saying, we will not stand by and allow you to steal this election. And, and that's what we're still working on doing because people need to be vigilant, just like people came into the streets to celebrate once they had voted, voted him out and the election had been called Trump lost, Biden won. We have to remain vigilant and keep the system and the fascist control of the system from reaching back and turning that over. And that's what Refuse Fascism is working on right now. We had a protest, nationwide protest today uh, here in New York. We took body bags to uh, the Trump International Hotel and laid them out there underscoring how Trump's refusal to take seriously this pandemic, which you were talking about at the top of the show, has killed several hundred thousand people in this country. And even with the development of a vaccine, is projected to kill many more before the vaccines can even get in the field. Yeah, the new numbers, As, uh, by the way, the projection from uh, the new numbers are that by the end of December, 400,000, more than 400,000, and today it was 247,000 deaths yes. from the, the virus. So that's 100,000 more people. And let, their death... Let, let, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, finish that because I want to ask you a, a broader question. Okay, because my point is those deaths have to be laid at the feet of the fascist Trump-Pence regime. And that's another reason why they never should have been in office and they need to be gotten out as soon as possible and not allowed to cling to power and also not allowed to do damage on the way out the door because that's the other thing that's going down. They're doing damage on the way out. There's going to be a, a forum that refuse fascism is co-hosting with uh, the Revcoms this Tuesday, November 24th at eight o'clock. And the theme of the forum is what just happened. Trump, America and the danger of fascism and the people participating in that uh, Andy Z who's another co-initiator of refused fascism Coco Das a writer who is the editor of the national refused fascism website and the writers Jeff Charlotte and Indy Samara Jiva who have both written on the danger of fascism and are calling, sounding the alarm on its continuing danger. 
That's going to be Tuesday, this coming Tuesday at 8 p.m. And you can go to the website, refusefascism.org, to uh, get the details in terms of how you can connect with that. It's a virtu- It's going to be a virtual forum. I should make very clear about that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so people know how to get, get hooked up with it. Uh, and, and we can reiterate that. Um, uh, uh, later on the show, but here is what I, I want to um, talk with you about. And my broader question is: we 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 use the word and and uh, fascism a lot. And one of the things, the work that I want to do here tonight is to help people understand what that term means and the systemic way in which fascism is embedded in the system of white supremacy and how it manifests itself in in the lives of people who are listening. Okay, so uh, so you want me to respond to that? Yes, please. Okay, that's a good that's a good question because too many people view fascism as basically a cuss word, mm-hmm. and it is much more than that. It is an actual change in the form of rule because the system that we've been living under for centuries has been a capitalist and then an imperialist system, which is just imperialism is capitalism on a global scale. And it has meant hell for black people. I mean, let's just be real because slavery in this country was carried out under capitalist and overall capitalist setup. Jim Crow segregation, lynch mob terror was also under capitalism, the police terror, the mass incarceration, that was all in the service to capitalism, imperialism. And so I'm I'm making very real that I'm not prettifying the way things were before the Trump-Pence fascist regime came in power. And in fact, I spent decades working to make revolution to get rid of that system. But we have to see that fascism represents a leap to a different form of rule, a form of rule where the reliance on open, naked terror carried out both by the official repressive institutions like the police, the National Guard, and so on, added to that are unofficial and extra legal forms of of terror and repression. And you see that with these white supremacist militias that openly backed up Donald Trump, that he called forward and shouted out to from the, the first debate with Joe Biden, where he told the Proud Boys, which are one of those white supremacist militias, to stand by, in other words, be on alert 
because I might need to call you out soon. And then he actually called them out. And that was what that million MAGA march, which I call the million moron march, that happened last Saturday came from, calling out those kinds of people to come to the streets in cities across the country and to flood into D.C. So you have that happening. You also have where previously there had been more of the trappings of the right to protest, which even that is something that could get closed in on in particular instances before the the advent of fascism, but under fascism, that disappears. You know, you want to call a demonstration and get out there and say, the system is doing something wrong. The hammer is going to get brought down on you. It reached the level in Nazi Germany where if people wanted to distribute flyers, they had to work out ways to leave them places where people could find them and pick them up because if anybody was seen handing out a flyer, they could get arrested and people got executed for the crime of distributing flyers. That's what happened to the White Rose, which was an anti-Hitler student group in Nazi Germany. You reach that point and then you reach the point where even capitalist institutions like the newspaper, newspapers, get targeted as the enemy of the people and get closed down, shut down, and shut off. Yes, and I, I was making that point in particular. The news media becomes the enemy of the people. Political opponents become not just people that you have differences with and you try to have your program went out over their program, but they become people who themselves get criminalized and demonized. And and you saw that in terms of the lock them up chants that came out at Trump rallies, but also Trump's public calls that people like Hillary Clinton. And as this election reached its high point leading into it, Trump was calling for uh, Biden, his son, and Barack Obama to be locked up. This is what fascism comes down to. All of the the stuff about the rule of law and the norms of how society is supposed to function and the rights that people are supposed to have disappear in the face of the right of the state to suppress all opposition. And then rights only exist for those forces and those people who see their interest represented by crushing everybody else's rights. And and that's where the white supremacy fits right into that. Because you do have this being America and a society that was forged in slavery of African people, genocide against the indigenous people. And that has remained true to that all the way down from its very beginning. You have large numbers of white people who see their identity as invested with special rights that they have over everybody who's different from them. And then for them, anybody standing up and saying this inequality that exists needs to be ended, they see that as 
them being oppressed. And you see that in expressions. Go ahead. Let me um, try to um, bring this in the context of how a how a fascist ideology uh, or a fascist machine might support uh, white supremacist ideology. And, and and one of the ways that I break, break, break it down is into systems. If you look at predatory lending uh, in our in 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 our financial and banking uh, system in this country, if you look at both the issue of uh, housing and uh, the inability of this government not to provide uh, decent, safe housing for every one of its of its citizens. If you if you look at uh, if you go back in history and you look at lynching, lynching was simply uh, another fascist strategy to do a number of things in maintaining a system of white supremacy. If you, I mean, if you look at the extrajudicial killing and the extrajudicial false incarceration of black people in this country, it is a fascist regime that allows that to exist I mean, you could go on and on. So I, I think that one of the things that has to happen is you have to have an eye toward toward the, the machine that makes it possible and the system that dictates to the machine. We are going to take your calls, but we're going to have to get through some things with our guests. Uh, people in the chat room are getting uh, a little antsy about taking calls. Uh, uh, Carl, let me let's let's move on to the nasty thing in this country and, and across the globe of how the 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 concept of communism as a resistance has been vilified and demonized to the extent that most Americans have either, you know, like, you know, Americans like me who went through the propaganda machine as a kid to be taught that communism was bad and most Americans bought into the Red Scare. How did that all happen? Well, how it happened was that Looking around the world, the capitalist imperialists saw that they faced a very big threat of people who had been under their thumb standing up, rising up, and trying to get free. And through the course of fighting to do that, searching for and finding ideological sustenance and practical guidance for carrying that forward and going as far 
with that as possible. And see, that's what communism represents. It's the all the way answer to the exploitation and oppression of capitalism, imperialism. Because when you look at all of the horrors that I was talking about earlier, they're actually built into the framework of this capitalist imperialist system and how it works, the way that it functions. When you look at the savage oppression of black people, well, it was the foundation on which the wealth and power of capitalist America was built up and grew to the point of becoming the top dog around the world. And at every point, the forms of oppression that black people have suffered were in service of maintaining the wealth, power, and stability of the capitalist system. That was the case with slavery, obviously, but it remained the case after slavery was officially abolished with Jim Crow segregation and lynch mob terror because black people were still a captive labor force that were the basis for a lot of the agricultural production. Then when the U.S. became more industrialized and black people, including agriculture, became more mechanized and stuff like that, and black people moved into the factories, it was as the bottom tier of the workforce. So it still meant extra profits for the capitalists themselves, as well as the inequality laid a basis for divisions among the workers and the maintenance. And that helped the maintenance of the capitalist system because the workers coming together to fight against capitalist exploitation was hindered by the maintenance of white supremacy and the way in which many whites, including in the working class, saw ending the inequality among the workers as taking away from them, as opposed to seeing it as something directed at the capitalists. So that's where this is coming from. And they went way out with this whole question of the communists are the problem, and you don't want to get hooked up with that. And then they also mm -hmm. persecuted communists, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. um, they put the leadership of the communist party on trial. They sent a number of people to jail, um, people who were supportive of the communist movement or even took up initiatives that the communists took up in the 1930s and forties ended up getting blackballed in different segments of society. There were a number of people in the Hollywood who had been supportive of different initiatives that the communists took up. And some were supportive of the communist movement overall, got pushed out of the industry, writers, produce directors, people like that. Mm -hmm. So all of this happened. And I went through the same kind of propaganda. And one thing that helped me to see through it was that the same people who were telling me communism was no good and a dangerous thing I should stay away from were also telling us that black people did not deserve equality because they were less than white people. And I was able to figure out they was lying about that. And so then as things went on, I was like, and maybe let me look into this other thing they're telling me. 
because mm-hmm. if they lied about that, how do I know they wasn't lying about this too? And that was an important part of me seeing through that. And I have to credit that to Stokely Carmichael. That was the name he went by at that time. He changed his name to Kwame Ture because this was something he pointed out back in the 1960s. So let's talk about communism and the work, the the, the concept of communism, and I, I call it a new communism. Um, and, I mean, I, I was a member of the Black Panther Party for, for many years in my younger days, and um, we were all considered to be communist. Uh, it was okay by me, uh, <laughs> except for when... Um, you know, your family starts questioning whether or not you're a communist. And it was such a, a bad word. But let's talk about communism in the context of what the Revolutionary Communist Party does. Uh, you are a okay. co-initiator. Um, were you a, a, a member of the original, uh, of the Communist Party USA at, at, at one point? No, I was never a member of the Communist Party USA. In the 1960s, I got involved in the movement against the Vietnam War. I got drafted into the Army, uh, got orders to go to Vietnam. And when I looked at what that war was about, I determined I could not be a part of this war. I refused the orders to go. They put me in uh, Leavenworth Military Penitentiary. And that got me into the swirl of the radical movement of that time. And I was going for, well, how do we stop all of this? Because I saw the Vietnam War. I saw what was happening to black people in this country. I was aware of the liberation movements in Africa and other places. And it's like we got to change this world. And forces that I saw doing that one I mean I learned from the Vietnamese people and their liberation struggle it was a second hand learning because I didn't directly get to you know have contact with them but I talked to a lot of GIs who had been in Vietnam and who had been over there fighting against the Vietnamese liberation struggle and they from them, I learned how dedicated the Vietnamese were to this because here you had this powerful military of the United States going against a peasant people in a small country and unable to beat them. And it was because these people were determined to fight for their liberation and they were coming at it from the leadership of a communist philosophy. That was the first thing that opened me up to that. The second thing was what was going on in China at the time. Uh, The uh, cultural revolution that was going on in China at the time and it posed to me, here were some people who had made revolution, the communists were in power, and the leader of this revolution was saying the people needed to rise up to keep revolutionizing the society. So they weren't just saying, put us communists in power and we'll take care of it for you. They were saying, we got to continue to remake all of society, not just put power in the hands of different people, but change the economic relations, change the relations between people, between men and women, the relationship Mm -hmm. between different nationalities in the revolutionary society, 
And this struck me as these people are really talking about getting free. They're not talking about get somebody new in there and trust them to take care of it for us. They actually had an approach that dug at how to do this. And that's what I wanted to get with. So I came out of Leavenworth Military Penitentiary looking for that kind of revolution. And I found it in the Revolutionary Communist Party, which I am a founding, well, I was a founding member of, still am, I guess. And the other thing I found there was the leadership of Bob Avakian because he led in forming the Revolutionary Communist Party. We formed a new Communist Party, the Revolutionary Communist Party, because the old Communist Party, the grouping that had been active in the 30s and 40s and had done a lot of stuff, you know, was instrumental in fighting to save the life of uh, the Scottsboro Boys and people in the listenership. I don't want to do a long thing on the Scottsboro Boys, but these yeah, were... Yeah. Nine, nine, ten, maybe a dozen young black men during the 30s who were wrongly accused of rape. And basically their lives were at risk on that because the plan was to lynch them and get rid of it. But because of the resistance that was built, and a lot of forces were involved in it, but the communists were a key force in that, saved their lives, saved their lives. Yeah. But that For party gave up the struggle. Yeah. Go ahead. I was, I was just going to say people should For, check that out. Yeah. For those you can, of you who are interested, we have uh, put a link on uh, the Our Common Ground Facebook page, which tells you about uh, the the story of the Scottsboro Brothers, as well okay, as as uh, the. Communist Party's involvement in extricating the issues and making them uh, globally, uh, yes. making people globally aware of what was happening. And it also was a basis to, uh, for especially in the South, for people to become aware that the kind of legal as well as street protests could make a difference in some of these cases. Carl, I want to talk about the uh, Revolutionary Communist Party. Uh, We're going to take a break, but before we do that, I want to share with our audience uh, one of the people that has been essentially uh, one of my teachers uh, in regard to global resistance is Dr. Gerald Horn, uh, who I have known for many, many years uh, when he was part of the Peace and Freedom Party. He was chair of the Peace and Freedom Party uh, back in the 1980s. Um, and and he has written extensively about black resistance and 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 the ideology of communism. And when we come back from break, I want to talk uh, with you specifically and take some calls about what the Revolutionary Communist Party is doing now and where they are, where you are doing it. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight is Carl Dix. He's a co-initiator of Refused Fascism and the Revolutionary Communist Party. 
in America. Thank you for being with us. Uh, if you want to get in uh, for calls after this break, our number is 347 838 And uh, I'm, I just want to share with you uh, some thoughts from Dr. Gerald Horn on black resistance and communism. ...against racism, which brings me to the Scottsboro case, uh, which I've argued marked a against Jim Crow in the United States insofar as, and this brings me to a major point, that with the Scottsboro case, you saw the International Labor Defense and the Communist Party of the United States, which had helped to bring it into being, were able to draw upon an international network of communist parties and like-minded people all over the world, and they organized a global campaign against Jim Crow and racism through the Scottsboro case, which, by the way, involved nine black youth in Alabama in March 1931 who were arrested and were accused falsely of sexual molestation of two-year-old American women on the fast track to electrocution before the International Labor Defense and the Communist Party intervened and organized this worldwide movement which puts Jim Crow in the spotlight, not unlike the worldwide movement that helped to erode South African apartheid in the 1970s and the 1980s. And it was that kind of internationalism which drew upon centuries of past internationalism, particularly solidarity with the Haitian Revolution, that set the stage for the arrival of more black communists into the ranks of the U.S. Communist Party. However, post-World War II, which on the one hand involves the United States and the Soviet Union and the United States and North Atlantic allies, including Britain, confronting Germany, Japan, Italy at all. With the conclusion of World War II, you saw the United States turn on its erstwhile ally in Moscow, which initiates the Red Scare. And that Red Scare is accompanied by increased pressure on the United States because the United States was trying to charge Moscow with human rights violations, found it difficult as long as people of African descent in particular were treated so atrociously. So this creates a dynamic whereby during the midst of the Red Scare in 1954, you see the U.S. Supreme Court and the Brown versus Board of Education decision say, you know what, Jim Crow is unconstitutional and illegal, even though they had said the exact opposite in the 1890s. However, the trick bag that they put us into was at the same time Jim Crow was retreating, they put communist leaders, particularly black communist leaders, under pressure. Not least William Patterson, who served a a stint in jail. He, of course, was a leader of the Scottsboro case in the 1930s. And so you saw this contradiction whereby Jim Crow was retreating as the most sophisticated leadership was under pressure and oftentimes being jailed. This leads to this contradiction whereby uh, people of African descent win the right ultimately to go to any restaurant that they so choose to, but because of the attack on unions and on communists during the same period, they oftentimes find themselves without the income to pay the check when it arrives at the dinner table. 
And I'm afraid to say we're still enmeshed in that contradiction that has yet to be resolved, which in many ways is part of a larger unresolved contradiction, which is the legacy of slavery. And now back to Our Common Ground. It's amazing how people can come together by spending time apart. Quest Diagnostics thanks you for doing your part to stop the spread of the coronavirus through social distancing and proper hygiene. At Quest, we're doing our part by establishing COVID-19 lab testing capabilities across the country to better serve our communities and healthcare providers. If you suspect you have COVID-19, talk to a healthcare provider and let's keep doing our part so we can all come back together stronger than ever. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. If Republicans are playing cutthroat politics, why are the Democrats playing that? And why can't they be on the offensive? And that, that's the first. Here's the second charge. You've got the Republicans beating this old message of debt. you got Mitt Romney standing in front of a dead clock now. And that will be the narrative. And the Democrats, you don't see this coming? You don't see this narrative coming as they force another death fight. As they the best of political talkback, common sense, right from the concrete, urban progressive politics, politics, politics. Friday night at TruthWorks Network, 10 p.m. Alpha drills down deep the lies, the conspiracies in. Politics. It's just damn politics. The Alpha Show.
Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And we do thank you for being here at Our Common Ground. We're here each Saturday night at 10 p.m. And then if you don't get your thoughts to us and if you don't get your call in, We've got Open Mic Wednesday night, post-talk, right here at 10 p.m. every Wednesday night. We won't be here next Wednesday night because it is a holiday, uh, and Alpha will not be at the Alpha show on Friday night because of the holiday week. So we hope that you won't. Uh, miss us too much, and you'll be with us next Wednesday night for post hoc. Next Friday night, after the week after, uh, for the Alpha show. And if you missed Alpha last night, Alpha was off the chain last night. I mean, the boy was on point. On. Everything He was on everything And then I'll be here Week after next uh, Saturday night Um, But one of the things That you can do is let people know That we're here You can subscribe to our website At ourcommonground.com You can join us On Facebook And you can follow us At JaniceOCG uh, on Twitter and TWN Talk for TruthWorks Network on Twitter at TWN Talk. We'd like to see you more than just here. Uh, we do uh, we do have people who have called in, and if you're trying to get a call in, you must press the number one to let us know that you want to talk with our guests and with me. Again, if you'd like to join our chatters in our chat room, it's blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. And our number for call-in is 347-838-9852. But be careful because uh, our chat room uh, is open for discussion about what we're talking about during the show, uh, a flag for new issues and new information that our chatters uh, alert me to and alert others to, and we appreciate our chatters. and And one of the things that I won't have in my in the chat room during this uh, program is uh, nonsense. Uh, this is not serious with the U.S. This uh, with an I. This is Sirius Radio with an E. S E R I O U S. Our guest tonight is Carl Dix, and he is the co-initiator of um, Refuse Racism, uh, Refuse Fascism, and co-initiator of the Revolutionary Communist Party. Uh, in the U.S., and we're asking, who you call in the communists? And, you know, I think that we live in 
a country, a culture, a society that likes to demonize, you know, like uh, Black Lives Matter, hashtag Black Lives Matter, hashtag Me Too. All that stuff gets uh, muddied uh, in the media. It gets muddied in the the back rooms, and somebody makes a decision, as Carl told us in our first hour, somebody makes a decision that this is bad for capitalism, this is bad for racism, this is bad and will break down the the the, the fabric of the uh, system of white supremacy. Carl, thank you so much for, for joining us. And when we went to break, one of the things that uh, we were, where we were was talking about the work of let's let's talk about the work of um, the Revolutionary Communist Party and help people and amplify for people exactly what communism is and how does it resist fascism and how it fits into resistance strategies for, against um, the system of, of white supremacy. And, I, you know, one of the things, Carl, is that I want to portray, we have a number uh, of black resistance movements going on in this country. And at the base of it, it all is breaking the rules that have been set up that supports class that supports a class system that supports racism that supports keeping black brown and indigenous people poor and struggling Carl? No, we, def- we definitely do. And look, I think this is a, a good question to put before me and to put before the listenership here. Because look, as I said before, communism is the all the way answer to the oppression and exploitation of capitalism, imperialism. And there's all of these horrors and there are people who want to end them. And we saw a lot of them go into the streets in the spring following the murder of George Floyd and people were saying, stop police killing of black people. And it wasn't just black people saying it was a lot of black people. It was a lot of other people too. And white supremacy that was even being raised by a lot of black people, brown people, indigenous people and white people. But then you got to go to, how do you do that? How do you end those horrors? And what you have to do to end those is it's going to take an actual revolution actually overthrowing this system, meeting and defeating its institutions of violent suppression, and then going on to build a totally different society to replace this messed up one. And that different society is one where all of the economic relations of exploitation have to be done away with, and all of the 
social relations of oppression and domination, whether that's white people lording it over black people and other people of color, whether that's men dominating and suppressing women, whether that's uh, differently gendered people being suppressed, all of those have to be ended, as well as the ideas that kept all of that in effect. And that's the aim and the goal of communist revolution. And ultimately what you want to reach is you want to reach a society where all of the exploitation, all of the oppression has been ended and you no longer require a state to keep people under control. That's what you're trying to get to. And I like the fact that a lot of people today, especially a lot of younger people are saying we want to abolish these oppressive institutions. But what they have to see is you have to bring together. We got to get rid of the system that requires those oppressive institutions. And that means making revolution to get rid of it. That's what communism is about. And look, Gerald Horn raised some very important points in the little clip you ran from him. I, I do have to say, though, I, this is a little bit of an aside, but I can't resist saying it. It really warmed my heart that uh, Gil Scott Haran's Rivers of My Fathers was being played behind Gerald Horn's clip because uh, I grew up on Gil. I remember his music, and it really fit in, you know, looking for a way. That's And then you listen to what uh, Dr. Horn was saying, talking about people who were looking for a way. And that's what people need to do. They need to look for a way, but they need to find the way to do it. And that's what the Revolutionary Communist Party exists to do. And you made a point about referring to communism as the new communism, which I thought was apropos. In fact, we in the Revolutionary Communist Party talk about the new communism that Bob Avakian has forged. And in saying that, we posit that as Avakian looking at the experience of communist revolution, what it did right, the many great things that it accomplished, but also where it fell short or went wrong and working to break with those errors to advance past those shortcomings to put us more solidly and scientifically on the road to ending all of the injustice, all of the oppression, all of the exploitation, both the economic relations and social relations, the backward ideas that serve this capitalist imperialist society and keep so many people enmeshed in it. And that's what we're working to do we initiated something a bit more than a year ago that we called the National Get Organized for an Actual Revolution Tour. We went across the country. We went from L.A. to Chicago to New York. We went back to Los Angeles to throw in on some of the major battles against the attacks of the system. And we took an approach that is encapsulated in the slogan, fight the power, and transform the people for revolution. Because resistance is very necessary. 
people have to stand up. People have to fight back politically against the attacks of the system because that's how people can get a sense of their strength. That is also how alliances can be built because when black people stood up and said no more after George Floyd was murdered, a lot of other people who weren't black, who didn't themselves suffer in the same way the the brunt of the police terror, but who saw it was wrong, came out in support of that. And people could see that there are other people who could who would stand with them when they stood up against injustice. But what mm-hmm. needs to be brought to that is not just resisting full stop, that's the end of it, but that resistance needs to be tied to getting an understanding of, well, where does this problem come from? Is it just some racist police so we need to get different police or can a civilian review board do it? Or is this built into the fabric and framework of the system? And this system needs brutal murdering police. That's why they have the cops that they have. That's why they give them a pass when they're caught brutalizing and murdering people. That's why they recruit the kind of cops that they recruit and keep from the force people who aren't willing to play that role of being the frontline enforcers for the system. And the same, I could give you the same breakdown for other ways that the system comes at people, whether that's coming at women, whether that's coming at indigenous people or immigrant and immigrants, whether that's coming at differently gendered people. And people need to learn that that's the problem. The problem is the nature of the system And they need to learn that there's a way to get rid of the system, that we can make revolution, Mm -hmm. that it's not only needed, it's possible. Most people don't realize that um, um, by 1921, um, there was a lot of changes going on in this country, especially among uh, Worker unions And um, There were a number Of communist parties The United Communist Party The Communist Labor Party And some others That I can't remember But all of them had an agenda In regard to the question Of the Negro um, And we, we we really Don't realize that There were very There were some um, uh, black, very prominent black people who were part, who who considered themselves black communists, Otto Hugheswood, Cyril Briggs, Lovett Fort Whiteman, uh, Claude McKay, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, Richard Wright, uh, Langston Hughes, uh, Paul Robeson, and they all had uh, they were either communists or they had uh, built alliances with the Communist Party. Uh, and it was the um, International Labor Defense Fund which stepped in uh, to lead the defense on um, the the Scott Thorough, um, uh boys. So it it really 
you know, I think that we have to make decisions around where our, our alliances are. And uh, W.E.B. Du Bois was a communist until he died. Claude McKay was a communist. Um, Lorraine Hansberry uh, was a communist until she died. And these were people who were writing about, studying about, and about the business of black liberation in this country. So, you know, Carl... I have been working on this whole issue of of a black political infrastructure. And and one of the things that I believe is that in order to build such a successful uh, infrastructure is that there has to be a cadre of alliances which represent the interests of black people in a number of ways. And one of the things in, in, in listening you talk about the work of refused fascism is that in this country in the next year or two, as we go through this um, Republican-Democratic Party Cold War and as we go th- continue to go through a civil war based on racial division in this country, that we're going to need that infrastructure and we're going to need alliances who truly have an investment in black liberation. So one of the things I'd like to ask you to talk about is where the alliances where are the alliances right now? Uh, with other black resistance organizations. Okay, you actually posed a lot in relation to. I know. I like to throw a whole bunch that. of stuff out. Yeah. And I mean, let me say this. Uh, I do want to step back to people need to go to the website revcom.us. That's the website of the Revolutionary Communist Party. There they can find a constitution for a future socialist republic in North America, which lays out the kind of society that I was talking about in brief. It actually breaks it down, how the government would function, what the economy would be like, how the, what would be the responsibilities and rights of the people. How would the oppression of black people be dealt with? How would the situation of the indigenous peoples be dealt with? What would the international perspective of the revolutionary society be? People need to check that out because we need to not be stuck looking at things in the framework of the capitalist imperialist system and be saying, well, what can we do within this? Because but here, here's, here's my problem. Okay. Here, here's a dilemma. The dilemma is that in this country, the government is owned and bought by corporatists and by capitalists. 
And one of the reasons why all of these courts, Trump versus 34 uh, cases in the last two weeks, and he's lost 33. And the one he won didn't mean anything. It's because I believe that the corporatists and what I've always called the shadow government, that the shadow government has decided that this guy's got to go because he's mucking up the works. He's having everybody in every corner questioning everything. And when I hear uh, Joe Biden talking about trusting the government is one of his priorities, it kind of gives me the hairs stand up on my um, on my arms and tingle in my scalp. So in terms of the success of the communist the, the various communist parties uh in this country and including your having a constitution which I think every organization ought to have a constitution, ought to have uh, uh principles of of guidance um that move them forward, what they believe in, and ought to have a plan. But but my problem is, and the dilemma is, it doesn't matter what kind of plan you have, you're not going to replace every aspect of how this country works. So how do you choose? Okay. Just let me try to get to right to the heart of this. I said the thing about the only way you could end these horrors is through an actual revolution, overthrowing this system, because we are aiming for a situation where everything about this system, everything that keeps the system in place does get gotten rid of. And we have a strategic approach that the Constitution is the kind of society we want to bring into being. In terms of how you do that, there's a talk by Bob Avakian on the website, Repcom.us, why we need an actual revolution and how we can really make revolution. So that brings in another piece. And then the other piece is what I talked about earlier, fight the power and transform the people for revolution. Because you have to build resistance to these attacks. You can't sit back and let people get crushed. They need to stand up. They need to get a sense of their strength, and they need to, in the course of standing up, be bringing forward alliances, bringing forward others to stand with them, and seeing who are the potential friends, who are the actual enemies. And that's an important concept, and it relates to what you had to say about Biden and Trump, because, look, there are a lot lot of the weight of the ruling class is coming against Trump and what he represents. But let's be clear, Trump represents another section of the ruling class, one that says, that has been saying a lot of the way that things have run in this country do need to be torn apart from a reactionary end and need to become even more reactionary. And like I said, you're right, he's been 
one for 34 so far. But we need to be clear that he don't need to win most of them. He just needs to win one that allows him to go all out for staying in power, call out the Proud Boys, but also call out those agents who he sent into Portland who were government people who went out and brutalized and beat protesters and and kind of meld them together with people like the Kyle Rittenhouse militia types, Kyle Rittenhouse being the, the white supremacist kid who murdered two Black Lives Matter protesters. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to make another. a point about that. That all Carl, comes together. You, so. Yeah, I want to make a point to the audience, to my listeners okay. about that. If you own a My Pillow, if you oh, yeah. <laughs> use a store that sells My Pillow, please stop. Please organize you and your friends and burn you and my pillow because Mr. My Pillow fronted yes, exactly. $2 million dollars <laughs> for Rittenhouse to get out of jail get on Thursday. Jail. He's out of jail. Yes. And those are the kinds of things. But, but Carl, I, I want to bring you back to my desire and most people are thinking, okay, so we started this revolution thing. How do we turn around a Supreme Court that is going to that is going to back the 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 empire? How do we, you know, for instance, we talk about Trump and we talk about Mnuchin and we talk about the Russian money laundering. Uh, and the the Supreme Court, and and there's not a member of the Communist Party in either either houses in the in the Congress, uh, and um, so and the Koch brothers. But we don't talk about that one of the ways in which the Pentagon. The reason that we have a military budget that is the largest budget in the history of the world, and it is always, and it has been that way, are the Raytheons of the world. That's the empire. So, I mean, you know, for instance, Nobody's going to go to Raytheon. Nobody's going to go to the Koch brothers or the Mr. Pillow thing, my my pillow man. They're not going to go to this these people who are in the background fueling exactly how this government works, and they're not going to respond to any revolution. For instance. Uh, we're going to need probably $1.2 trillion or even more. I, I don't know what the number is. I can't I can't recall what Sandy Darity's number is. But to fund repairing the descendants of the American shadow slavery system. So 
how do we begin? You know, we talk about revolution. You know, that's why uh, that Tracy Chapman song. I had to pull that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, no. Um, how do we begin to even explain to people how this revolution thing is going to work? Okay, well, well, look, I mean, when George Floyd, after George Floyd's murder, we sent a crew, including myself, up to Minneapolis, St. Paul. We were out in the streets with people. We were at the protest, at the rallies. Because of my history around fighting against police terror and mass incarceration, I got to speak at those rallies, and I put out to people the first thing is I shouted them out. I gave them props for being in the streets, being as defiant as they were and wanting to see things change. But I also said to them, here's what it's going to take to change things. And that's how we have to go at that because your 1.2 trillion figure, you're basically talking about reparations and it's not just for slavery. It is for slavery. It is for, Jim Crow segregation, lynch mob terror. It's for police terror and mass incarceration because this system never stopped abusing black people, never stopped super super exploiting black people. That is a just demand, but we frankly believe it is not a demand that this system is going to give into because they have done all of that because they got and that's my what point. we call we call super profits. They got super profits out of it. That needs to be brought forward to people. People need to know that. Black people need to know that, but white people need to know that too. And they need to actually understand, you know, when these white people talk about, well, I'm a self-made man. Well, you're standing on the blood, the bones of enslaved African people, indigenous people against whom a genocide was carried out, black people who were held in slavery by another name after the Civil War ended with the overthrow of Reconstruction. You're standing on top of the mass incarceration. of You're standing on top of all of that. You ain't self-made. That's what your position in society is based on. People need to know that. People need to understand it. And some white people can break with that. Racial oppression can be ended, but it won't be ended under this system. And we need to bring that out to people. And at the same time, we need to fight all of that injustice. And, I mean, the point I said about I don't think the system is ever going to give reparations, that does not mean the demand should not be raised. It should be put out there. It should be fought around, just like people should fight against every case of police terror and say that this needs to stop. We need to root it to the white supremacy of this system and say this white supremacy needs to go. But people need to understand that doing that requires getting rid of this system. That's why I said fight the power and transform the people for revolution, because that means both changing their thinking getting people to see that these problems that we see are not isolated problems, but they stem from the nature of a system. And also to see that there is a way 
to end those problems, and that way to do it relies on them getting involved. It requires revolution, and it requires them taking up revolution, because one problem that has existed around this whole thing with driving out the Trump-Pence regime is that a lot of people wanted to see it happen, but they also felt like somebody else was going to take care of it. Maybe they yeah, should I mean, vote, it, but somebody it, else is going to deal with it. And if we leave it to Joe Biden to deal with the fascist movement and all of the wreckage that it has done to society, it ain't going to get dealt with because the fascists ain't going to disappear. Like you said, the Supreme Court now is majority fascist. Trump is sticking all of his people that he can into positions in the government. And Joe Biden is coming in and saying, I want to work across the aisle. Well, these people across the aisle <laughs> don't want to see anything good done, you know. So this is not going to take care of things for us. People have to see that it is up to us and the spirit that had people in the streets celebrating Trump's defeat needs to be carried forward. And that's what we're trying to do in the Revolutionary Communist Party. I refuse fascism will have to work out its new direction, but it's carrying out the series of forums. Uh, the first one is going to be Tuesday, November 24th at 8 o'clock. People should go to, it's a virtual forum. People should go to the website, refusefascism.org to find out the, you know, to get way to log in and be a part of that. They should also check out an ad that Refuse Fascism placed in the New York Times about a week and a half ago, it's called In the Name of Humanity, We Refuse to Accept a Fascist America. The Trump-Pence Regime Must Go. And we should check that out because, look, we got to stay vigilant and make sure they actually go. But we also have to not allow this fascist movement, which will still be there. It will be in the government, but it also is cohering in society the fact that they did bring about 10,000 MAGA idiots into D.C. last Saturday. And, and I mean, these people were like... But a bigger like problem is that 70,000 lynch mob. Is, uh, a bigger problem is that 70, the 70 million? million people voted for for Donald Trump. Yes. Are, 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 are even, a big, exactly. even a bigger problem is that he was ever elected. Yes. And, and I always tell people, this is America. Don't be surprised that there are a lot of people, because you've got a lot of white supremacists who are open and avowed white supremacists. And then you've got a lot of people for whom white supremacy is just like the, the air they breathe. It, see, it feels normal to them. So they get offended when you call that out and build resistance to it. And we got to get people, first we got to get people to stand up and fight against white supremacy. And then we got to get all these people who got used to white supremacy to see that they got used yeah. to something that was poisonous for humanity, even if personally it worked out for them. And, and some of the people who are into it, it did work out for them because you know, there's this talk about, well, the Trump supporters were the poor whites. That's actually the wrong way to characterize them. The Trump supporters were white because some of them were poor. 
Some of them were middle class and some of them were very well to do. But the thing that characterizes the people who supported the Trump-Pence regime is overwhelmingly their whiteness. While we also have to take note that uh, too many black people supported them. It was a black people were overwhelmingly against Trump. But, you know, it's, it's notable that, you know, you had these rappers at the end coming out and endorsing Trump and saying I'm with him because of his criminal justice reforms. This is a man who tried to lynch the Central Park Five. He led the lynch mob against the Central Park Five. And then when they got exonerated, he said they should still be in jail. Yeah, he, they, they, he, he, not only he was right to lynch them, but they shouldn't have let them out of jail just because they found out they were innocent. That's essentially what he said. Now, how anybody can say this man has a good record on criminal justice reform, you know, they need to slap themselves, you know, like I needed that, because that's his stance on criminal justice. You know, don't tell me that he signed some bill that let a few people out of jail. What about the 2.1 million who are still there, many of whom were framed up, many of whom were there because of inequality and injustice in the laws, like the 100 to 1 crack to powder cocaine disparity. So there's a lot that we need to get right. A key to it is we have to get people to see that there is no savior who's going to take care of this for them. Yeah. Biden and the Democrats ain't going to do what humanity needs. And, and I say that as somebody who voted for the first time in an election. And yes, I did vote for Biden, not because I thought Biden was going to do anything, but because Biden wasn't Trump. And Trump losing the election would be important to driving, getting to a situation where the fascists aren't the ones wielding power. But just because the other wing of the capitalist imperialist system comes in and wields power doesn't mean it's going to be good. That just means that we'll actually be able to call a protest and we won't have to be figuring out leaving the, the flyer on a park bench so somebody can come by and pick it up. We can actually go out with our material. I, I don't know that they would allow you on the air in a fascist society to have, the conversation that we're having tonight. No, they the wouldn't. Yeah. So, so that's why we had to stop Trump, but we, and we have to be vigilant because he ain't out yet. It ain't January 20th. He ain't left, you know, and people who are saying, Oh, he's definitely leaving. Well, we got to actually be vigilant and make sure because, um, you know, when you actually look at it, part of the thing about the peaceful transition of power in this society between the capitalist representatives is that no one has yet challenged it in the way that Trump is challenging it right now. And you got to make sure that any challenge that he puts forward doesn't get, get through that the Supreme court, if he gets it that far, will feel like it cannot, you know, actually endorse this move yeah. because so yeah. many people yeah. have made clear that they won't accept it. That's what refused fascism 
is still putting out to people that we still need to do. That's why we took the body yeah. bags to the Trump Hotel here in New York and did other things across the country. And we'll continue to be in the streets until the regime is out. And then Refuse Fascism will figure out whether it needs to go forward and continue dealing with fascism or however to do that. As a revolutionary communist, we in the Revolutionary Communist Party are going forward to fight against this system, building resistance to all of its attacks with the approach that I talked about, fighting the power, resisting those attacks, and transforming the people, changing the way they think for revolution, bringing out to them what we need to do to get rid of this, and, and calling on people to enlist in the movement for an actual revolution that we are building. Yeah. Carl, we really appreciate you spending um, time with us and helping us get through some of these questions and examination on the issue of uh, resistance in, a, in America and the role in which. Ooh, our time is almost up, uh, isn't it? I didn't realize that. Yeah, <laughs> it is, and we've got to go. But give us. Clock. Give us the information about the forum on Tuesday again before you. Okay, the forum. The forum is going to be this coming Tuesday, November 24th. It's going to be at 8 p.m. East Coast time, 5 p.m. West Coast time, and y'all folks in the middle work it out from there. The theme of the forum is what just happened, Trump, America, and the danger of fascism. Yeah. And it's going to be a panel taking that up. And this is going to be the first of a series of forums and cultural events. And when people check out that uh, ad, they'll see that a number of the people who signed it are some of the, you know, Cornell West, Noam Chomsky, uh, the Latin jazz artist Arturo Farrell, Chuck D signed it, Layla Layla Hathaway, uh, many other people I, I hesitate to use names because then I, I'm picking out whose name I'm going to use and whose I'm not, but there are many more people. People should go to the website, Refuse Fascism, check out the ad and its content because it lays yeah. out an yeah. approach towards continuing to fight against fascism. And that's something that okay. people need to, to learn and understand about. Okay. Well, thank you, Carl Dix, for spending time with us here at Our Common Ground. And um, a good holiday to you and your family and your comrades at Refuse Fascism. And I'm sure at some point we're going to be calling you again. Okay, well, you know how to reach me, and thank you for having me on again, Janice. And let me just say this about the holiday. It's a time that I get together with uh, family, with comrades, but I ain't celebrating, giving thanks right. for what America did to the indigenous people. I heard you talk I about that at it. the beginning, so I wanted to get that word in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, my best wishes to you, Carl, and thank you so much. That was Carl Dix of uh, Refuse Fascism and the Revolutionary Communist Party. We're going to um, try to tie this up tonight here at our common ground as we approach uh, the holiday and we are hoping that you will stay safe 
and that you will take no unnecessary um I have posted on Facebook a couple of times this week better to have a good Thanksgiving uh one that you might have to um, enjoy uh remotely from your friends and family. I know that my family is not going to be traveling um to join us. The CDC has issued uh, guidance on airline travel and suggesting to people that uh, it would not be, as the surge uh, continues, it would not be a good idea to be traveling. I will be joining my family in New England um, and friends from Boston uh, virtually, we're all have we're having a table setting contest, but also keep in mind that as a people we have we we don't partake in this holiday um as most we are not celebrating uh a traditional American thanksgiving this is a thanksgiving for family and friends. Uh, I am particularly thankful this year that uh, after January 20th, um, our government has been released from uh, a criminal empire, uh, mafia kind of seizure, Um, and I'm very thankful for that. I'm going to... also say something that I think I'm try I'm trying to stay you know, I'm trying to stay in this 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 space where um I'm not leaving you with uh, a whole bunch of stuff to think about but um this was the first part of our series on black liberation and resistance movements in this country. And uh, when we come back week after next, we're going to be talking with the um, black uh, independent uh, liberation movement. Uh, We're going to be talking about a number of things with them about what their organization is doing. But... uh, Don't be surprised this week if you are hearing more and more and more about the notion of a non-prosecutorial agreement that Donald Trump and his family are trying to negotiate with the U.S. government. That's the Department of Justice. Uh, and the National Security Council. Um, And if you go back and you read the unredacted Mueller report, you will understand the basis for why this negotiation might be happening. But I do want to uh, wish each and every one of you a very good holiday 
um, of of giving thanks and to wish that for you and your family and your colleagues that you care about and your neighborhood and your community to have enough. And for communities and um, especially activists, there's been a lot of activism going on in this country in the last two years. And people are tired, and I'm, I'm hoping that enough means a renewal because Trump and Trumpism is not going away. I think we will bear a lot of misinformation, disinformation, and propaganda over the next eight to nine months. But more than that, we will bear the crisis and the tragedies that have been created by this pandemic, the economic um, tragedies that's being faced by Americans across this country, people who have lost their jobs, people who have lost the people who support their family, um, children have lost fathers and mothers and siblings. And I'm, I'm hoping that there are times ahead where we will, as a country, uh, be able to recover all of that which we have lost. And I want to ask you to do one thing. During this holiday season, Reverend Warnock and Mr. Asaf in Georgia need your help. And because most of you will not be having huge Thanksgiving dinners Maybe you ought to take the $25 or the $30 or the $35 that you would buy a turkey and say to hell with the genocide. And here is how I am going to acknowledge what this holiday, good holiday week. Be very, very careful and take care of yourself. And thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground. In this holiday season, we give thanks for your support and your listenership, and we wish you and your family enough. Join us next Wednesday night for Post Hot, where we'll be talking about all the trimmings for the holiday season and our safety. If it's Wednesday, it's open mic night at Our Common Ground. And of course, each Saturday night, Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Next Saturday, we will continue our series on black liberation movements in America. I'm Janice Grant, and I'll be listening for you.